Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Simonson. Today's guest is comedian, speaker, and storyteller, Brett Hollis. In this episode, we learn how at the age of 42, he left a 20-year career as a pastor to become a comedian. Brett talks about his current and future projects, famous comedians that have impacted his life, and why he keeps a casket in his living room. We discuss the state of culture in America, why he prefers clean comedy, and how he balances his passion for preaching with his love for comedy. As always, thank you for joining us on American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and find us on social media. And now I present my conversation with Brett Hollis. Hi, Shane. How's it going? It's going really, really well. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell us about yourself, Brett. All right, so I'm 48 years old. I've been married 26 years. August 1st will be 27 years with my wife. Uh, she's an amazing woman. We have two kids, a 24-year-old son and a 22-year-old daughter. I grew up in a fantastic family, fantastic home, actually in Sumner. I grew up up near Lake Taps. We were not, we didn't have the money to live on Lake Taps, but we were three trails away. I always just had to walk through three trails to get there. Spent most of my summers there, except the year I watched Jaws. Uh, when my mom took me to see Jaws, I pretty much didn't go in the lake that year. But, uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm enjoying life. I'm. I feel like every day is a is a gift from God, and just uh, laughing my way through life. So, why don't you tell me about your comedy right now? Tell me about what you're working on. You're a comedian and a speaker. I am. I am. So, actually, I don't know how much detail you want, but I was. Uh, well, I'm an ordained minister, and uh, I pastored for nearly 25 years, and then. Um, Six years ago, I stepped down from pastoring and I went on the road full time doing stand up comedy and speaking. And so, with the speaking, that's anything from preaching at churches on Sundays to speaking at camps uh, to secular uh, corporate events. Uh, I've done motivational speaking at different events, schools, different things like that. My comedy. Uh, you know, I started doing some open mics at some of the, the clubs in Seattle and Tacoma and Bellevue. And, uh, and then, uh, really I had this, I had this fear. I had this fear of doing comedy, although it'd been my dream since I was eight years old. Uh, when I was eight years old, I got a hold of my first Bill Cosby record and I listened to that. And I was also a big fan of Johnny Carson. And I was probably the only eight year old that would try to sneak into the little, into the living room at night and watch Johnny Carson, but there was something about him that I loved his style. I loved, you know, and Bill Cosby was a uh, phenomenal storyteller. And so I got all of his albums and I just, I just thought he was amazing. Uh, never told anyone I wanted to do comedy until I was over 40 years old and didn't even, didn't tell my parents, didn't tell my wife. And you know why Shane, I didn't tell anyone because I thought they'd laugh at me. <laughs> Which, which obviously is the goal, right? But, right? but there was a fear in me that people wouldn't be laughing with me. They would be laughing at me. And so uh, I just held back for a long, long time. Well, after doing some of these open mics and then uh, a really uh, great guy, a friend of mine that allowed me, he's a professional comedian, he allowed me to, uh, Jerry Miners, his name, he's from Tacoma here, he allowed me to open for him at a comedy show, and I did. And on the drive home, we talked about it. He gave me some pointers and tips that absolutely changed 
my life and changed how I perform. And it was just worth all of that, just just driving home with him. And I knew I needed to change. I, I, I didn't want fear to drive me. I wanted my faith to drive me, you know. And so what I did is I rented out the Auburn Avenue Theater and I got six different friends of mine that live in six different areas around here. And I said, listen, I want to have this comedy show. I want to give it a shot. I want you to help me sell tickets. And so I, I, I don't mind, certainly, if a lot of the people in the audience are people I know, but I don't want it to be everyone I know because I don't want to be that guy on American Idol that says, but all my friends said I'm a good singer. You know, I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be someone who was genuinely able to make a stranger laugh. You know what I mean? Alcohol-free, by the way. And so we sold tickets. Anyhow, we sold out. Sold out the show, 250 people. And uh, when I got up there to, uh, to perform, it was almost like I became whole. Like I had not been completely myself all these years. I knew I was called to preaching. I loved preaching at the time I was pastoring. But it was almost like half of me was shaded, and then this light came on, the spotlight came on, and I was, I, I was all there, if, if that makes sense. And I performed a show that launched me into doing this full-time. At the time, I, I, I thought I'd just do it as a hobby and so forth, but there was a good enough response and a great enough feeling within me that it took me to a new level. And so um, fast forward a little bit from there, it was about two years after that, that uh, God changed my course, and I've been doing it full time ever since. Wow! Wow! So, what does that look like doing it full time? Yeah. Well, I'm broke. Uh, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. We're we're getting by. We're doing okay. Uh, you know, it's it's hard. Here's the here's the funny thing: is going from pastoring now. Now realize this: I was 19 years old when I came on church staff full-time pastoring. And I did it all the way till, uh, let's see, six years, so till I was 42, and that's all I knew. And I was used to getting a paycheck every week. I was used to living a certain way, you know, and, and pastoring, this is all I knew. And it's all my wife knew because we met when I was already pastoring. And so when we got married, this is all she's known. And to come home, and by the way, I wanna mention her because She's a phenomenal woman because what wife on this planet has her husband come home after 23 years of pastoring and says, honey, I think I'm going to resign and go on the road full time telling jokes. What do you think? And she said, I'm behind you. If that's really what you feel you want to do, that's your dream and you feel God's telling you to do that, I trust you and I'm behind you 100%. And she she was behind it, and so I resigned. And so I'm saying all that to say uh, what's different about it is you never know when you're going to have work. You never know what that's going to look like. But I've noticed that the more I'm out there doing it, the more calls I get, the more opportunities I get. And so for me, when you say, what does that look like? Well, uh, I do a lot of times I do shows on the weekend. So I'll do a Friday night show, a Saturday night show, and then I might preach at a church on a Sunday. Um, I might do a show just to do a show. I might just do complete comedy. And then there's other times people have me come in and they say, hey, 
could you do a certain amount of comedy and then end with a end with like an inspirational message, you know? And and so I'll do that often. Just it depends on the event, depends on um, what they want. But I try every year. I try to put on some of my own things. So I'll go and I'll rent a uh, at a venue. Like I'll rent. I love theaters, so I'll rent out a theater, and um, I promote the show. And then I do. And one of the reasons I do that is. I'm hired out so often to events that are closed events. Like it's only for their corporation. It's only for uh, their staff. It's only for, you know, it's an event that's kind of like you've got to be a part of this organization to be there. And I can't invite my friends to it. I can't, I can't promote it. I can just go do it. And so I like to every year put one on at least that I promote and I can invite everybody I want there. And so uh, I've done several of those. I'm doing one in two weeks. Uh, it's called the Stand Up Sit Down Comedy Show. And I've already done two of these in back in November, but I have an uncle who's a triple amputee, has no legs and no left arm. Uh, his name's Bob. And yes, he does love to swim. It's just a really odd uh, thing with him. But we We've written a show together where we come out and we do comedy together. And then he does a set alone. I do a set alone. And then, um, it, you know, it's a fun show. But it's uh, obviously I stand, he sits, and it's it's a lot of fun. So, you know, I try to keep busy. I, most of my shows, I'd say, are weekends. I get a lot of midweek things as well. I'll do different galas or events or fundraisers or, you know, whatever whatever it happens to be. Is there any other projects you're working on currently? Most all of my comedy shows are um, customized to the event that I'm invited to. So, for example, uh, about three weeks ago, I did a, a men's conference over in um, Pasco, Washington. And everything I did, I tried to relate to men, right? So it was kind of a customized. If I get invited to a situation, a lot of times people will say, hey, can you can you do jokes about this? This is what our company does. And so can you, you know, so I'll try to write and customize jokes. Some jokes will overlap in different places, but there, there are a few shows that I do that are pretty much the same show every time. Although I'll interchange some jokes to see if new ones work better, whatever. And those three jokes, those three shows are, I have a Christmas comedy show that I do every Every year around Christmas time, I've got a the stand-up sit-down one that I do with my uncle. And then I have one uh, that's called the Die Laughing Show. And this show is in the setting of a funeral. like So I own my own casket. I actually have my own casket. It sits in my living room right now between our dining room table and our couch. Again, shout out to my wife how wonderful <laughs> she is because <laughs> she really doesn't like it there. But, you know, my friend bought me this casket. He said it was a going-away gift, and we uh, it's a nice casket. It's got pinstriping and everything. It's really cool. And it's actually the casket I was laying in when we did our photo shoot for the promo for it. Very comfortable. Springs in it. I didn't even know caskets had springs, but there's springs in it. It's very comfortable. And my wife says, well, what are we going to do with a casket? I said, honey, guest bed? I mean, everyone that comes over is going to want to stay in the in the casket. You know that. Uh, summertime, we could take the lining out of it, fill it with ice, put drinks in it, put it on the deck, you know. Um, she decorates it. She decorates it for Halloween every year. She's got a skeleton she puts in there with cobwebs. She's got fall decorations with leaves on it. She's got Christmas decorations, nativity scene. Uh, Easter, we just leave the lid open because it's like the resurrection. You know, I mean, we just, we try to use it as much as we can. 
Anyhow, I've got this casket. The show takes place as though you're at a funeral. There's pipe organ music. The lights are down. There's a casket up there. There's flowers. I come on. I do an hour's worth of comedy that has to do with life, death, and afterlife. And, uh, and then at the end, I share an inspirational message of how uh, if someone knows Jesus, they could actually die laughing. And so it's sort of a play on words, and then I end with one last joke, and, and that's it. So my my project is to continue developing that. I'd like to get a hearse. I want to get an old 60s to 70s hearse. I want to get my logo put on it, and I'd like to actually take that show more on the road. Um, so the two main projects I'm working on are the stand-up sit-down, the die laughing, and the, well, I guess I'd add a third, the Christmas one. Um, I'm fine-tuning that one. I've been doing that one a few years. Other than that, I'm doing a lot of traveling and doing events other people set up for me. So. Yeah. So you were a pastor for over 20 years, and then you transitioned into being a comedian and speaker. Mm -hmm. What was that transition like? It. It was scary. It was scary. It was, well, I put it like this. It was like riding a roller coaster. You know how on a roller coaster you get really scared, but you want to do it again because it was fun? That's exactly what it was like and what it really still is right now. Um, it was scary because we never knew when I was going to have work. It was scary because at the beginning, I didn't know if anyone would think I'm funny. It was scary because who's going to hire me? How do I get... I, I felt awkward promoting myself. You know what I mean? That was a really awkward thing for me because all these years pastoring, I, I wasn't, it wasn't about me. I wasn't promoting myself. I was promoting God and, and maybe the church, but it wasn't, it wasn't about me. So that was difficult. Um, and, and yet exciting at the same time because God provided in cool, strange ways all the way through. Uh, I I would just meet people. It seems like I would just meet people at the right time or someone would come and be attending a show and that would open up other opportunities for me. And so, um, you know, going from dealing with a lot of pastoral things on a daily basis, whether they be really serious or um, just day in and day out things, all of a sudden I'm at home working from home and, you know, all the years pastoring, I pretty much made my own schedule, but some things just naturally demanded your time, whether you scheduled them in or not, emergencies, whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm at home and I'm in my home office, and I'm, I'm, I'm working when I want to work, how I want to work. And so I just, I spend a lot of my time writing. So half my time I spend writing uh, messages, sermons. I'm studying the Bible. I'm, the other half, I'm writing ridiculous jokes, right? So I'm always writing something. The transition was crazy because, um, you know, people, you, you get viewed differently. If, if you are introduced as a pastor, you get viewed differently if you're introduced as a comedian. You're introduced as a pastor, a lot of times people go, oh, and then they try to watch their language and they, you know, they, there's almost this... Um, reverence or uh, whatever. You get introduced as a comedian, usually the first thing people do is smile, <clears throat> and then they want you to be funny. And that's hard, because being funny on the spot is, I don't think, is always a strength of mine if I'm at Safeway or a gas station or, or something, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm happy if I can be funny for 20 minutes on stage, you know. 
but there are different pressures. You know, someone said to me, well, you know, what's the difference between preaching and, and, and uh, comedy? And do you get nervous still? Well, yeah, I get, there are some times I don't get nervous at all. And then there's other times I really get nervous. And sometimes I don't even know why I'm nervous or why I'm not nervous. It just, it just happens. But the difference is, in my mind, if I preach and I'm really preaching Scripture and I'm talking about God and the audience doesn't like what I have to say, well, that's between them and God. Uh, no sweat off my back. But if I get up there and they've paid to come and hear me be funny and I suck, well, I just suck, right? I mean, there's no, there's no, well, that's too, I mean, there's a, there's a weight. There's a weight with it that's different. There's a weight pastoring because you have a responsibility before God and you do not want to lead these people astray and, you know, there's a weight of preaching the word. But there's also this huge weight of comedy of people expect you to be funny. And one thing that I've discovered is they don't expect you to just be funny on stage. They expect you to be funny all the time. So if I, if I go to speak at a church, um, a lot of times there is this expectation to be funny, even if my message is not funny. You, you know what I mean? Like, and so I've had to wrestle with that. I've had to work that through. I learned a long time ago that there is, uh, there's a time to joke and there's a time not to. And you need the wisdom to know when not to. But I think sometimes there's this expectation that people have. But <clears throat> I have also discovered that if people think you might be funny, it instantly tears down walls between you and people. Like they, they're they almost more excited to be there to listen to what you might have to say because you might make them laugh. So it's just kind of a, it's just been a, a fun, interesting transition. Um, you know, there's different, obviously there's different things about when I pastored, I was, uh, for lack of a better term, I was in charge. You know, I made the decisions, I, you know, leading the church, leading the people. Uh, when you're a comedian and you're brought in, you, you do your thing, but, you know, whether it's doing comedy or speaking, when I come to speak somewhere, I have a list of questions when I'm speaking and a list of questions when I'm doing comedy of what do they want, what do they don't want, because I'm not in charge. I'm up, there to, I'm up there to provide them the best night possible, and so I'm there to serve them. Is that ever weird, having been a former lead pastor and then coming in, in a servant role where you're not the lead pastor? Yeah, it, it, it is different. I think, I think the transition has been, you know, it's been now six years, and so it's not as strange anymore. Uh, I'm more used to this side of things, but I think uh, it can be it can be interesting when you might think, uh, you know, if you're if you're performing somewhere, or preaching somewhere, you might think it would be better to do it a certain way, and they think it would be better to do it a different way. And so, for example, how you close a service or how you how they want to do certain things. I have to respectfully submit to them. You know, one thing that I'm very used to saying now is I learned early on if people want me to perform comedy, don't have me perform comedy while the audience is eating or being served uh, during a meal because they don't hear the jokes. They're not listening. They're asking for someone to pass the pepper. They're the, the waiter's in front of them. They can't see them. They don't know what's happening. 
And so every time I've done an event where there was food involved, if it was while I was doing comedy, it, it did not go well. It didn't go well at all. And so I say to pastors or people, lead, you know, the, organiz, the event organizer or whoever it is, I'll say, listen, um, here's, here's some things that I would request, some things I ask for, but if you really want it to, you know, say the food thing, if you want me to perform while they're eating, that's fine. I just want to tell you right now, I don't think you're going to get your money's worth. It's not going to be as good as it could. And so there's just, you know, but if I'm putting on my own show, if I rent out a theater, I do it exactly how I want to do it. You know what I mean? Here's what I'm convinced of. Whether you're a preacher, a comedian, a plumber, a truck driver, a nurse, doctor, whatever you are, if you will do what you're wired to do, God can use it in phenomenal ways. I'll give you a, an example. I was up in Anacortes one, one year, and I was performing comedy. It was for a big community event. And there was a table in the back that was laughing way louder than everyone else, like almost ridiculous, almost to the point where I was saying to myself, okay, that wasn't even funny. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I knew it wasn't that funny, but they thought it was really funny. But in my mind, I'm like, that wasn't that funny. Well, when I got done, you know, and here it was just a comedy event. I didn't do any, no Bible was mentioned, no, nothing like that. I get done, this guy from the community comes up to me and he says, uh, he says, hey, did you see that? You see that table in the back there? And I said, yeah. And he goes, see all those ladies? And there was all, it was the table that was making all the noise was a, like eight elderly women. I said, yeah. And he goes, he says, well, every one of those women lost their husband in the last two years and our community has not seen them laugh since their husband's passed. And so for me, it was so cool to see how God can just use laughter and comedy to really uncork some things that have been pent up and to do things that other things cannot do. I mean, it really, laughter really is the best medicine. I, I spoke at a church in Wisconsin, a fairly large church back there. I did all three of their Sunday services. Uh, they went fine, but to my knowledge, as far as I know, no one made a, a turn in life. No one turned their life over to Jesus that day. But they had me come back later that week in the community, and they held a community-wide comedy show. And I did an hour-long comedy show, and seven people, seven people then responded to give their lives to Christ. Now, the thing I thought was so cool about that is when I preached, nobody did. When I told really stupid jokes, seven people did. Now, maybe they were saying, Lord, save me from this comedian. I, I don't know what they were, you know. But the, but the thing that hit me so hard was, hey, there, God can, if you'll give it to him, he'll use it. It doesn't matter what it is. He'll, he'll use it. And so for me, whether I'm preaching or I'm performing comedy, uh, I, want, I just want it to be about him, and I want him to use it however he wants to use it. I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about him. I want it to be about the audience, you know, their needs. So being a former pastor and having that responsibility of scripture and probably the, the seriousness of being a pastor, what is your view on using comedy and, as you call them, stupid jokes to lead people to the Lord? Like, what, how does that work to use kind of this frivolity? Mm -hmm. um, how do you see that as not being blasphemous? Yeah. 
Well, first of all, because I never do any jokes that are blasphemous. I mean, I don't, I certainly have some jokes I have told about Bible subjects and stories and even have some Jesus jokes in there, but they don't put him down. They don't degrade him. They don't, they're not, they're not dirty. I don't do any dirty material. Uh, I will often do uh, audience specific material. If I'm doing a couple's a comedy show, it's probably going to look different than if I'm doing a comedy show for some junior higher and high schools, but it's not dirty. It's all clean. <clears throat> so for, so I don't, I, I completely stay away from anything that would be blasphemous. The way I think he uses it is, first of all, I think a lot of people in the world have this uh, idea that Christians are not fun. In fact, they're everything but fun, and they're not really funny. You have to be dirty in order to be funny and whatever. And I've had many, many people tell me after a show, I've never heard a clean comedian. I didn't even know you could be funny without being dirty. I've done shows in bars before. I did a show, I did a comedy contest in a bar and someone came up to me afterwards, uh, three different people in the bar. I mean, this bar, it's rowdy they're drinking they're three different people came up to me afterwards and said thank you so much for being clean I, the, no one else there i was the only one that didn't talk about sex i was the only one that didn't swear i was it right but so so i think i think one way he uses it is he shows that uh you can be you can be clean and you can be funny you can be a christian and you can be a lot of fun to be around the other way I think he uses it is I truly do believe laughter tears down walls. I mean, when you laugh with somebody, I mean, you know, you think whether it's at the dinner table or you sit there and laugh, there is something that happens when people laugh together. There's like this openness, this camaraderie, this something that happens within them. And I, I have seen if I can get people laughing, they start getting more at ease. And, and the walls maybe that they came in with, like, you know, not wanting to let anyone in, whatever, I see those walls just kind of tear down. And then they're open to maybe me speaking some truth. And and so I see, like I said, though, there have been times I've done comedy shows where I didn't even say anything about God or the Bible. And yet I still had people come up and say, I needed that. I've had a terrible year. I haven't laughed in a long, long time. And I needed that. I think God uses it for that. I think he heal. He brings healing through laughter. I really do. That's cool. That's cool. Are there any spots in the Bible, just as a secondary thing, where you, where you see laughter, or? Yeah, actually, there there. Unfortunately, we don't have any pictures of Jesus laughing hilariously, or we don't have stories of him necessarily laughing because I think he's the creator of laughter, and he I'm sure he laughed a lot. But what sticks out to me is in the book of Proverbs, at the end of the book of Proverbs, uh, it's talking about the, the noble woman, the wife of noble character. And it's in Proverbs 31. And it just, it talks about how she's a hard worker. She prepares for every season. Um, she's good with her money. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but she trusts in God. And, you know, I'm not giving this a word-for-word reference here, but she basically, it says, and she can laugh at the days to come. 
And what I think is so cool about that is I believe, just like with my Die Laughing show, if you really trust God and you understand what he's done for you, um, first of all, there'll be genuine laughter. Like, it's not about being happy. It's about having a joy. You know, there there are circumstances that can make you happy, right? Oh, someone gave me a neat gift and it makes me happy. Or I got this new job, it made me happy. What God gives is a joy, a joy that's not based on anything that happened except a relationship with him. And it's a deep-rooted joy that can survive any and every circumstance. It doesn't mean that you're joyfully happy because you're going through a tough time, but it means that you can still experience joy no matter what you're walking through at the time. And with that joy, we're able to to laugh at the days ahead. And I'm able, I can be in the midst of something and I may not like what I'm going through. I may not feel like really laughing at the time because it's not a funny situation, but I can have this deep-rooted joy that says, you know what, this is going to carry me through this. And so when the Bible talks about joy, and it talks about the, the wife of noble character who can laugh at the days to come, um, there's, even, there's even the story where Jesus, uh, there's a, a kid that died, and Jesus says to the father, no, she's only sleeping, and the people around all laughed. It says that they all laughed at him and made fun of him for saying, she's not dead, she's only asleep. Well, he heals the girl. He, you know, I mean, she sits up and she comes walking out in front of everybody. And it's just always kind of hit me that you're either laughing at Jesus or you're laughing with Jesus. And, and I feel like when, when you... When you trust him and understand what he's done for you, you'll be able to laugh with him and you'll be able to laugh at the days of uh, days ahead. That's cool. I have, my son has one of those little, uh, uh, what is it called? Where you, you look through it and it's like a three-dimensional. Oh, uh, viewfinder. Yeah. 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 We used to have those. Yeah. Yeah. My son has a little viewfinder and we got him. I've, I've only got him the, uh, the Christmas story mm-hmm. ones cause I don't want to give him SpongeBob square pants and, anything like that. So we've been looking at the Christmas ones and I've just, I can't help but think about this is the image. This is a replication of what people think the Bible is about. And so these little clay figurines that were made in the fifties or sixties, this is our impression of what the Bible is about and, and how Christ was. And it just occurs to me that so much of our impression of what life was like then is based on the words that we read and our interpretation of those words. Yeah. But they're not necessarily truth, true to the actual circumstances. Right. It's a very limited perspective, but it's not the full, you don't smell the sweat. Right. You don't hear the laughter. You don't right. hear the tone of voice. What was that laughter like, you know? Uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your impression or your thoughts on the current culture of comedy in America. Yeah. First of all, I think it's exploding. Everywhere you turn, people are doing comedy now. And back in the 60s and 70s, it was the 70s is when it was really just starting to take off. And then the 80s, it, ex, it, it exploded with stand-up comedians becoming a big thing. Like people would come and watch one person stand on stage for an hour instead of going to a movie. So there's there's quite a history of that. But... What I mean by exploding nowadays is 
almost everywhere I go, I'm having people tell me, I've never told anyone this before, but I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy. And it seems like you're seeing cafes and coffee shops and, <clears throat> and restaurants constantly advertising comedy night, open mic, you know, this different thing. And it's not just comedy clubs anymore. It's, it's a lot of different venues for it. So I believe we're seeing the desperate desire to laugh. I think Amer if we talk America specifically, people are at a point where they, they feel it's so important to laugh that they're paying big bucks to go see a good comedian. And they'll go out of their way. And, uh, you know, now with podcasts and all these different ways, you know, YouTube, all these different... You, you have people binge-watching Netflix or Hulu on their favorite comedian. Uh, so I think, that's, I think that's neat in some ways. I think it's neat that, that people are realizing the, the healthiness of a good laugh and the need to laugh. I think that's good. What, what makes me sad is some of the stuff they're laughing at. It is so hard to find a really good clean comedian they're out there there are there are some really good ones they don't always get the promotion that the filthy ones get uh it's it's sad for me how many times i have turned on netflix or i have put you know brought someone up on youtube or whatever the case is or i've gone to a club you know when i was when i did some of the open mics uh unless you're well known you know the way they do it, you get there early. It's first come, first serve. You sign up on a piece of paper, and they call your name in that order. But if a popular guy that does the clubs comes in, he can bump you. Uh, if someone comes in and brings a lot of friends, they can bump you because that's more people to drink and all this. And uh, there were times that I had to sit through 20 to 25 comedians before I got up there, and every one of them was absolutely filthy and it wasn't even comedy it, it was it, it was just stupid ranting swearing i don't know i i'm not saying i'm not saying people that are dirty or or use harsh language in their stand-up i'm not saying they're not good at their art i'm not saying they're not good comedians in the sense that they are well rehearsed and they know how to perform I'm saying my preference, it's sad to me how I've seen comedians up there, even really well-known ones, get to a point where they're not sure what they want to do next, so they just drop the F-bomb or they do something like that because they know it'll get laughs. And it does get laughs. That's the worst part. It gets laughs. But my goal, my goal is to uh, never go down that road, to show that you don't have to go down that road. Uh, I, there are some well-known comedians that, that I respect their art form. I respect uh, that they're, they're good at what they do. I just don't care for, I don't care for their kind of material. Um, Who are some of those artists? Well, I, I, you know, Eddie Murphy, for example, and I'm, I'm going back in time a little bit. He doesn't perform so much anymore, but Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, those guys, Richard Pryor really is well known for breaking open a door that was not there before and how you perform. 
their their material though i can't i can't sit and listen to that with a clear conscience um you have uh, you know, some of my some of my favorites are like Louis Anderson, Jerry Seinfeld, um, Brian Regan. These are guys, uh, um, Jim Gaffigan. These are guys that know how to be funny without having to be dirty. And I really appreciate that about them. And like I said, some of these other guys, Kevin Hart, some of these some of these other comedians that that uh, they they're they don't care about being clean. I'm not saying they're bad at what they do. They're good at what they do in performing. I just don't I don't care for that kind of material. And and I you know, I remember leaving I remember leaving a club one time and really just almost feeling dirty. I ha- I only did clean stuff, but what I had to sit through it was like people were taking Dirty socks and underwear and throwing them, you know, on me every time they're performing. I just feel like I'm under this big pile of dirty laundry. And I remember leaving there and coming home because I would, I wouldn't allow my wife to come because I didn't want her to not allow her, like she's my slave. But you know what I mean. I didn't want her to come because I didn't want her to have to sit through that kind of garbage. And I, I remember getting home one time and saying, you know what, I don't. My goal is not to try to make a drunk person laugh at midnight. My goal would be to be funny enough that I could make a sober person laugh at lunchtime. And that's still my goal. And it was funny because shortly after that, I was asked to come to a, uh, a city hall, a local city hall, and perform comedy during the day at lunchtime for all the employees because they were having a wellness week. And one of the things they went to talk about was how healthy it was to laugh. And... I was able to make people laugh who were sober at lunchtime. And it felt really good because that's, I, I think, I have to be careful with this, but I think it takes more talent to make a sober person laugh. And I'm not saying I'm better than all these other guys. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I think it takes more talent to do that than get up in front of drunk people and just swear and talk about vulgar things for 10 minutes and get laughs. I I would rather, let's put it this way, I would rather do the clean audience. So, Yeah. One thing I've noticed is, like if you go back to the Rat Pack, who mm-hmm. I think were hilarious, mm-hmm. they would allude to things that were very behind closed doors, mm-hmm. but they would never say it. Right. Probably because the FCC would clamp down on them. Right. And who knows what was happening in the, the Vegas clubs and all that. Who knows what they were talking about. But I feel like there was a class factor that prohibited them from going down that road, which I feel like we're lacking that today. You, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, who are no, you know, blue. When you say blue comedy, that's that's dirty comedy. Lenny Bruce and George Carlin were arrested on multiple occasions for using the word "damn" in a nightclub in Chicago. Well, you compare that to today. For most comedians, they feel like if they don't swear, they won't get an audience. Right there, if you even said that word, you're you're. They were in jail. I mean, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce went to jail for that. Wow, it's just you, you can see how times have changed. But I, again, I I really want to stress. For example, George Carlin, he's brilliant. Right, he's he's brilliant. He's got a mind that is amazing. Uh, but we have different purposes and different styles. And I, 
Uh, I think he's good at what he does, but my goal, my goal is to show good comedy that makes you think and is clean. Tell me about the fellowship of comedians. And if you, I have, a, I have another friend who's a Christian comedian. He recently moved to Nashville and he's met some people there. But I know being up in the Seattle Tacoma area, it was really difficult for him to have um, fellowship with people that were clean comedians. Um, and do you, what is your experience um, with that? I have a few friends, and literally, I mean like three or four in the area that are clean comedians. I don't spend a lot of time with them, but I there's some I will do shows with. I've done shows with a handful of them, and I've gotten together and done some writing with a couple of them. There's a camaraderie out there that I have not yet tapped into. Just I don't know if it's because of my busyness or, or what it is, but um, it's not that I wouldn't want to hang out with them. I just haven't. I haven't hung out. There's busyness in life and so forth. But you will find, you know, for example, um, and I know you're talking about here, this local area, uh, there are a lot, if you go to the clubs, you will see some of the same people at all the clubs, and there is a close-knit group of people. I never tapped into that. Um, I kind of I just didn't have a desire to. I, I, uh, I was friendly. And I, I would hang out, and when, when we're waiting for others to get up there and do their sets, I would, I would talk to them. I have friends, I have well-known friends in the area that are comics that are not clean, but I, I think they're, they're good at what they do, and I've, I've uh, hung out with them here and there. But I, don't, I actually don't spend a lot of time with too many. I mean, I just... Last Monday, I hung out with one of my buddies. We did a show together, and then we went uh, we went out to eat afterwards, and so that was fun. But it's not like I'm not one of these guys that you know. You hear these stories about back in the '80s in New York and L.A. where you know David Letterman and Jay Leno and all these guys are going out together every single night and just hanging out at these restaurants, laughing and hooping it up. Nah, I I just I don't. I wouldn't be opposed to finding some more friends like that. I just don't right now. I have about three or four that I just kind of connect yeah. with, you know. Do you think that has to do with being a clean comedian, or is it more just where you're at in your life? You know, I've thought about that. I, you know, I'll tell you this: if anyone needs Jesus today, it's it's the comedian, right? I mean, because really, they have an art form that people love, and they have an audience, and they have a following. But I've been amongst a lot of them, and, and a lot of them don't have a relationship with the Lord. Some of them do, some of them don't. For me, to answer your question, I think some of it's personality, because, for example, this is going to make me sound so lame. I don't want to be out late. I'm tired. I, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of these things that they're doing is late at night. You know, I'd rather meet you at taco time at noon for lunch. I, I don't really have a desire to be out at 1 o'clock in the morning with a plate of nachos, I'm too tired. I just got too much to do. You know what I mean? And so, um, so I'm not always on the comedy scene, if that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not spending a lot of times down at the clubs and, and going to all these open mics, not because I think I'm better than them, not because I, it's just, I don't know. It's just an environment that's not, it's, I don't know. I've got a family. I got a wife. I've, I'm gone so much on the road that when I'm home, 
I like to hang out with my wife and I like to be intentional with those that I spend time with. But like I said, I will find myself doing shows with multiple people and we go out afterwards and we go, you know, like my buddy last week, we did a show together. We went and hung out for dinner and we laughed and we had a great time and, and it was great. I just don't do that every week. I don't do that every night. Yeah. So talk to me about the psychology of, of comedy. Do you think there's any psychological factors for a comedian? Yeah, actually. Yeah, I do. And I'm going to go out on a limb with this because I might be wrong, but here are some of my own observations. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, so, you know. I I have found that, first of all, if you're a well-known, well-liked comedian and you come up on stage, it really doesn't matter what you say or do, you're going to get laughs. There's a psychological part of it that if that's your favorite comedian, when they say hi, you're going to be like, oh, that was so, he said hi. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, I've, I've noticed this. I think another thing is if they are expecting a comedy show and they've paid for a comedy show, there is usually a really good vibe. Like they, and I'll tell you what, the audience makes a huge difference. You know, I used to laugh when comedians would always end with, you guys have been great. Thanks so much. You know, cause I'd be sitting there going, yeah, but you did all the work. Like what we just laughed, but doing comedy, I can tell you this, that audience makes a huge difference. I can take the best of the best of my jokes and have them work at 20 comedy shows in a row. And then the 21st comedy show, nobody laughs at the jokes. And it's like, what? What happened? And there's a lot of factors that can work into that. But going back to that psychological side, if they know they're coming for a comedy show, they've paid a ticket for a comedy show, they come, they're ready to laugh. And there's a psychological thing that they're, they're just jazz. They're ready to laugh. But if they're surprised, okay? So I've done some events where business owners or banquet event coordinators have surprised the audience by having me come up and do some comedy. It does not usually go well. Now, there might be people listening to this that go, well, you're just not good at what you do. I mean, if you were good at what you do, anybody would laugh. Okay, fair enough. That's fine. I'm not, I am by no means uh, the best comedian out there by far. I got so, I have so far to go. But in my own experience, I've learned if I'm a surprise, it's almost like you can see it in the eyes. People are like, uh, who? What are we do? Who is this guy? Why are we? What are we supposed to? Let? What are we doing? Because they're there for a special luncheon and an award ceremony. They didn't know there was going to be a comedian. You know what I mean? And so I've learned that the more you can prep the audience and make sure they know why why they're there, it just works out. Now again, there might be a thousand comedians listening to this going, "Are you kidding me? I can make any audience laugh. That's great. Congratulations. I'd love to be there one day." But for me, I think there is a psychology, uh, a psychological element to it that people don't always know what they're supposed to do at a time like that. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of weird, I know, but no, that's really interesting. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes me want to get you out there as a comedian, so people are like, "Oh, Brett Hollis, he's funny." <laughs> but then you're going to be in the checkout line, and the lady behind the counter is going to start laughing at you. Oh, I have, yeah. People laugh at me a lot. Here's the, here's, here's the scariest thing 
probably about doing stand-up comedy. My entire life, I have felt often that things are funny when no one else does. And so every time I go out there, I take a risk. And it's scary because I can be at home. <laughs> I've been at home. I have, I've been writing stuff before or thought of something that I laughed so hard I cried. And then I get up on stage and no one else shares that with me. They're like, that's, that's just not funny. That is a risk I take every single time I get up there is what I think is funny, not everyone's going to think is funny. And so I just feel like I have to be true to who I am, and one day I'll find that right audience that agrees with me that this, this is funny. You know? Do you have a way of testing your material? Yeah. I, yeah. There are oftentimes uh, something will pop in my head like out of nowhere, I'll be having lunch with someone and I'll say it and they'll laugh and I'll think, oh, you know what? That might really work. And then I might say it in another conversation or two. And if it still works in just casual conversations, then I'll start developing it and I'll try to work it into a show. And if it works at the show, then I'll probably use it the next one if it works at the next one. So usually I try a joke probably... 10 times before I say to myself, okay, <clears throat> this is a good joke. I'm going to continue using this one. You know, I have a list of my best jokes that usually, usually get laughs every time. Um, but a lot of them start off with just a thought while I was sitting there having lunch with somebody. And I just, you know, I kind of, but I don't, I don't, I don't sit my family down and go over my jokes. I don't, you know, I don't, perform practice in front of people. My wife never knows what I'm going to do when I go up there, unless it involves her. I will say this, and this goes for preaching as well. I have never used my wife or my kids without their permission. So I will get their permission before I... So some people have said to me, man, you really you really use your wife a lot. You know, you make fun of her. Well, I don't, I don't try to make her look bad at all. In fact, I try to turn around usually where I'm the one that looks bad. But the fact is, is she has said some very funny things over the years. She's done some funny things. And uh, I won't use it without her permission. There's one story I tell that is a favorite of people's. I get requested the story a lot. She wouldn't let me tell it for 17 years because she was so embarrassed by it. But she finally let me tell it for this one show. It was the Auburn Avenue Theater one years ago. And it went over so well that she embarrassingly agreed to let me do it more. Well, now it's one of the most requested stories I tell. And, uh, but yet, if she ever said to me, I don't want you to tell anymore, I, I mean, I would tell her it's kind of our moneymaker. I mean, are you sure? But I, I would, you know, I would have to go along with it. And the same with my kids. If, if you know, they've done, you know, as kids, you know, you do some funny, embarrassing things. But if they, if they don't want me to do it, I won't do it. There was only two people I never asked permission, my mom and my brother. <clears throat> my mom, because she spent uh, my entire life embarrassing me, and my brother, because, well, he's just my brother, my older brother, who picked on me all the time. So when I get up uh, you know, behind a mic, it is, uh, I don't hold anything back on those two, and I never ask their permission. My kids and wife, yeah, I'll ask their permission. So I follow you on Facebook. I follow your Facebook page. I notice you sometimes will just kind of slide a, a joke in there 
Is that a, is that a tester or what's what's what, what, oh, what okay. are you what are you doing there? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I yes, that is a good point. I will test sometimes with those. Uh <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yes, I do. I are have, you aware that people are on the other end? Yes. <laughs> Wait, now how does Facebook work again? Yeah. I don't. You mean other people are reading it? Yeah, lots of people. Oh, uh, yeah. No, you bring up a good point. I did not think of it while when you asked me that question a couple minutes ago. Yes, I have tested jokes out uh, doing that. Um, not every joke I put on there is a test. There are some jokes I put on there because I just think they're so flat out funny. I don't care what you think. I'm just going to put it out there anyhow. Um, but I would say if I get a lot of really good responses, that joke's probably going to end up in one of my shows, you know. That being said, find this guy on, on Facebook. Thanks. How do you find you on Facebook? Uh, everything is under The Brett Hollis. So The Brett Hollis Facebook page, The Brett Hollis um, Twitter. My Instagram right now actually is official Brett Hollis, but that's going to be changed. It's I'm, I'm working with some technical difficulties right now, but I'm planning to change that to The Brett Hollis. My website is thebretthollis.com. Okay. And on my website, there's media clips. You know, I have different pages for my Christmas comedy show, my Die Laughing comedy show. I've got uh, all my events listed whenever I'm going to be doing comedy or speaking anywhere. It's all listed, dates, times. What do you have going on in the future? Like near future, far future? You got any plans or hopes or dreams? Yeah, I do, actually. I would love to see me grow in comedy. And what I mean by grow is I would love to grow in the art of it. I'd like to get better at it. I would like to have bigger stage opportunities, meaning more exposure, bigger venues, bigger opportunities. Uh, with the speaking, I would love to continue traveling all around and speaking. I think the Bible is the greatest book ever written, and it's life-changing. And, man, uh, I just, from young to old, I love to just share uh, great news with them. Um. The other thing is, is I have always wanted to do a television, televised talk show, a variety show. I think Johnny Carson was one of the biggest influences in my life. And please, by me saying that, don't think that I, I think I would be Johnny Carson or as good as Johnny Carson. There was just something that was planted in me years ago with that idea to uh, know people, get to know people, um, but have have a variety, have a fun, have a show. Just have a fun variety show. And connected with that, I would say, really any kind of entertainment on television or or acting. I've tried out. You know, I I would I would love I'd love to give it a shot in the movies or or television. But uh, I also do writing, and so writing is my other big love. Which is a funny story because <clears throat> I failed pretty much English every year and was terrible at it but uh i've i've written one book it's called welcome home and it's just a story of how how i came to know jesus and how my life changed um but i have other books i'm working on right now and i've been working on them way too long and i need to get them finished and so those are my those those are my goals those are my uh and with each one of those uh who knows where that could go so what i'd love to do it's my passion so Welcome Home, is that available anywhere? Yeah, on Amazon. It's on Amazon. You pull up Amazon, Brett Hollis. That's not under the Brett Hollis. That's just Brett Hollis. 
uh, Welcome Home. It's a serious book. I mean, I, I, there's probably a couple funny things in there, but it's really, uh, it's a really a book about uh, how I came very, very close to taking my life back in uh, 1989 when I was very depressed and how God, uh, man, he just, I was out elk hunting and he, he just met me in a, <coughs> excuse me, he met me in a very powerful way. And my life has never been the same since November 12th, 1989. Wow. I purposely wrote it small so people would read it. It's like a trifold uh, brochure. No, it's not that small, but it, it's about 100 pages. So it's a small little book, great bathroom book, great book to have, uh, you know, on your on the bus or whatever. I am in the process of making it uh, available digitally as well, but right now it's only in paperback form. Okay. That might be a good uh, another podcast to... Oh, explore that book. Sure, yeah. cool. Tell me a bit about what you enjoy doing when you're not doing comedy or speaking. I love hunting. I love to be out in the woods hunting. Uh, sometimes I love to just be out in the woods, driving the roads or or hiking. I'm not one of these guys that likes to go hike. Like you will not see me hiking Mount Rainier for fun. If I have opportunity to, to uh, hunt and bring a big animal back with me, that's one thing. But if it's just to hike, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Love to fish, love to spend time with my family and friends and laughing. I love a good meal. Man, steak and potatoes, pizza, they get me every time, cereal. I still love a big bowl of Cocoa Pebbles or Cocoa Puffs, love that. Uh, I love to read, love reading. I, I am such a boring guy in some ways in this aspect. Like, like you could give me a book that I find interesting and I could sit on my deck in the summertime with a cold glass of water or some nice drink like that and and give me my book and I'm happy all day long. Your son likes to hunt too. Yes, he loves hunting. Tell so, me about his, he has an Instagram. Yes, right? yes. So he has this Instagram called Old School Hunting and he has about 45,000 followers and this thing, here's what he does. He, well, he, he has two, lo he loves to hunt, but he loves vintage things. Like he loves old school stuff. And when he was a boy, he was like a, just a little man. He's just like a little man as a kid, because if you gave him a choice of going out in the cul-de-sac and playing with some friends or sitting at a donut shop, talking to old men about cars and stuff, he'd go to the donut shop. And he's just always had this real respect for the elderly like his grandparents, when he got his first cell phone when he was 13 years old, I didn't even know this for a year, but every night he would call his, he'd call his grandparents. And I mean, he's just, got a, he's just a, got a great respect for him. Anyhow, every day he posts a photo uh, of a vintage hunting. Now, when I say vintage, I believe it is from 1999 older. Now, you got to understand, he's only 24, so to him, that's, you know, 95 and less is, is quite a bit older. But he, uh, he has people sending him photos. He's got, he's got Jim Shockey. He's got some of the greatest world-renowned hunters following him. He's got big businesses following him, and he just loves what he's doing. And so he's looking to expand that. He's, he's working on developing a website and... Um, it's just a cool thing. A lot of people just love it. I, I highly recommend anyone listening, get on Instagram and go to Old School Hunting. And his name's Brady Hollis. And how do we find you on social media? 
yeah, everything's under the Brett Hollis. So my Facebook page is the Brett Hollis. Twitter, the Brett Hollis. Um, my website is thebretthollis.com. And on the website is all my events, all my where I'm going to be speaking, where I'm going to be performing. Uh, and then my Instagram will eventually be the Brett Hollis. Right now it's under official Brett Hollis, B-R-E-T-T-H-O-L-L-I-S. I'm going to be changing that soon, but that should be no problem. Great. All right. Well, cheers. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thank you again for joining us on American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, review, and find us on social media. This is Shane Simonson signing off. Until next time.